Coming up on this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. The food industry knows that if you get kids early and you set up their taste, habits, patterns, behaviors in childhood, you've got a customer for, for life. life right. And so like, you know, you get kids hooked on like sugary, salty, fatty, you know, unhealthful processed stuff. Mm-hmm. They're less uh, amenable to trying like the healthier things. We live in a country where the food industry spends several billion dollars marketing junk food to children. Hi, I'm Kaya Perowit, one of the producers of the Doctor's Pharmacy podcast. In this mini episode, Dr. Hyman talks to researcher and family physician in the Bronx, Dr. Sean Lucan, and Pulitzer Prize winner Michael Moss about Big Food's addictive mission to hook the most vulnerable consumers, our children, and keep them coming back for more. The average kid sees 6,000 to 10,000 ads for processed junk food on TV and media, and probably now... It's hard to measure, but through social media and stealth advertising, it's probably even more. It's more surreptitious. Even before, they used to say, here's a picture of a baby in the 50s drinking 7-Up and Coca-Cola and how good it is to get them to drink their formula. That's obvious and terrible. Nobody would go for that. Now it's all subliminal. It's celebrities. It's kind of you know, friend marketing, and it seems like it's authentic and natural, but it's not, and it's deliberate. And and it's one of the drivers of so much of the behavior. It's a problem. The food industry spends, you know, impossible amounts of money promoting, marketing, making available. Billions. Yeah, the stuff that we just do not want patients eating are the things that are making patients sick, quite frankly. I mean, they're selling sickness. Yeah. Um, And to counter that, we need as many strategies as possible. I mean, think about it. We (laughs) I think the data changed by the name of 10 and 13 billion dollars spent on just advertising and marketing poor quality food. And the worse the food is, the more marketing and advertising they devote to it. And the um, that drives behavior. We are uh, one of the only uh, westernized or civilized countries or developed countries that allow unrestricted food marketing to kids. And yet um, we we do regulate things around children differently. And I think when it comes to children, and, and particularly given that 40% of kids are overweight now, that if a kid's a, a teenager who's obese or overweight, they, their life expectancy is 13 years less than someone who's not at that age. People have done studies looking at TV advertising and advertising mm-hmm. on computer games and advert games and video, uh, you know, and all kinds of screen media. Um, but there hadn't been a lot looking at the environment where, you know, patients or particularly children um, are living, are playing, are going to school or commuting back and forth. So we decided, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to go and see what was being promoted uh, in the subway system and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the subway stations. Mm-hmm. And so we rode every subway line uh, in the Bronx, got <laughs> off at every station and looked at every ad. Wow. And particularly we're looking for uh, promotion of unhealthy foods and beverages. Yeah. Ads for unhealthful food products, so uh, alcohol, sugar-sweetened beverages, sugary cereals, processed mm-hmm, foods, mm-hmm. fast foods, mm-hmm. uh, were disproportionately found in stations that were in neighborhoods um, home to communities that were challenged by, you know, various demographic and diet related, uh, issues. more diabetes, more obesity, more poverty, mm-hmm. lower education, mm-hmm. more children in the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. more foreign born, mm-hmm. uh, more immigrants. Right. So it turns out that, um, those unhealthful ads were not related proportionately to the amount of foot traffic or the number of eyeballs. The inverse was true. So it wasn't that they were trying to reach the biggest audiences, they were trying to reach select audiences. And the select audiences that they seem to be trying to reach were those who were most challenged, right? So 
poor minority foreign born um, uh, children yeah. uh, living in poverty. So this is important for people to just pause and understand what this is about. So basically, these are areas where the worst affected by obesity, disease, poverty, where the minorities live, people who have lack of education and are the most burdened. Yet, by volume of people, the number of eyeballs, it wasn't the greatest. It was just the ones that were at most risk. Now, why is that happening? Because it's much easier for the food industry to sell people who are already eating poorly more bad food than have you or I start to eating Coca-Cola, drinking Coca-Cola or eating processed food or having junk. So they target existing communities to create what they call heavy users. Michael Moss talked about in his book, yeah. Salt, in Fact. And this is, in my view, criminal. One of my favorite characters in the book was Jeffrey Dunn for 20 years, one of the, one of the biggest, um, biggest warriors in Coca-Cola. He rose to become president of Coca-Cola for North America, South America. And he walked me through, you know, those very marketing schemes that they used. One I mean, called, this was after he quit? After, well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had an epiphany at one point and decided... Couldn't uh, live with himself anymore? Exactly. And um, But one of those strategies is what they call up and down the street marketing, which refers to their trucks, like other snack food companies, driving from corner stores to corner store, which in cities typically surround the schools and get the kids coming and going and controlling the real estate in those stores. So it's the snack food companies that own the coolers, the racks up front near the cash register. And that's that's where the heavy salt, sugar, fat sort of snacking um, comes from, is they're controlling that, that very important space uh, for kids, especially knowing that when a child goes in for the first time with their, their own spending money, they will become imprinted, brand loyal, and will start making a habit of that. I mean, it seems that, you know, when you look at the science around how they develop these foods, that they're intentionally trying to create foods that hook people. I mean, these are companies doing what all companies want to do, which is to make as much money as possible by selling as much product as possible. Mm -hmm. And they just happen to have some very smart people working for them to work on the marketing, on the packaging, on the ingredients, everything. They're going after potential consumers. And by and large, um, you know, kids in the inner city have less choice about where to shop and they're going to be more exposed to the kind of marketing schemes that the companies use, especially those sort of corner stores, which is huge for that. So that was the sense that I got is that they, they were going after kids because they were vulnerable because they're kids. Our children are being bombarded by powerful marketing messages promoting food-like substances or frankenfoods as Dr. Hyman calls them. And we are now raising a generation of kids that do not know how to cook or feed themselves. Sending kids to school on a breakfast of Coke or colored sugar water and Doritos affects their ability to learn, their health, their future, and the future of our country and our world. To save our planet and save our children, we must stop this cycle. We have to help our kids fall in love with cooking. We know children need to feel included, and just like adults, they crave meaning and purpose. Involving your children in meal preparation helps connect them to their food and build better self-esteem. At the end of the day, setting a good example becomes the most important thing you can do. Walk the walk and talk the talk and your kids will follow. I hope you enjoyed this mini episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. Thanks for tuning in.